we will now see some practical objections. They are claims of intractability, uncertainty, difficulty in researching issues not related to human interests, and fears of meeting disapproval. One objection is that improving the well-being of animals living in the wild is ultimately futile because the huge amount of suffering and death they face would ultimately render our efforts unsuccessful. One response to this objection is that it is missing the point. We might not be able to stop all harms animals suffer, but that doesn't mean we should not try to stop some of them. We should try our best to reach the best possible outcome, all things considered. From the perspective of the animals we can help, we will be making a crucial difference. Another, more radical version of this objection would be that it is impossible to make any difference at all. That is, impossible to reduce the harms animals suffer in any way. But we can see that this claim is just wrong, just as we have seen how it is possible to help animals in the wild and that this has been done for a long time already. Another claim is that by helping some animals, we could be harming others. So we'll never know if we are actually having a positive impact. This is a different claim, that the issue is too uncertain for us to know how to act. We'll look at this objection next. There are two different objections claiming that it is not possible for us to attain necessary knowledge to achieve the aims of welfare biology. One objection argues that because suffering and other experiences are subjective, they cannot be the proper object of scientific study, so we will never be able to learn about them. This objection conflicts with what most of us believe that other beings have their own experiences and we make intuitive guesses about whether they feel well or bad that often turn out to be right. This isn't just with our close friends or other human beings. A lot has been learned about what non-human animals experience without having direct access to their thoughts. For decades, the science of animal welfare has been examining the well-being of animals using established indicators that are applied rigorously. Moreover, not having direct access to what you are studying does not invalidate the possibility of carrying out a scientific assessment of it. One example of this is research in natural history. We can't have direct access to how life was millions of years ago. Another objection is that the complexity of ecosystems means that research into the factors that affect wild animal well-being would inevitably be incomplete. As a result, welfare biology would not succeed in making sound assessments of the ways to alleviate wild animal suffering. It's correct that complexity does entail that our actions will have many ramifications, some of which we won't be able to foresee. So it's a reasonable concern that we could make the situation worse by trying to help some animals without sound knowledge. However, this should not stop us from trying to improve the situation for animals. Most scientific disciplines deal with complex phenomena, but we are still able to use their findings to inform our actions. Their incompleteness is not a significant barrier to this. Also, we already know of many interventions that clearly improve the welfare of some animals living in the wild. We need more research to see if these interventions also indirectly negatively affect other animals. In some cases, it seems more likely that the indirect effects will be positive, such as in the case of protecting large herbivores. In addition, this objection is being very pessimistic about the results our actions could have, probably displaying a bias towards the status quo while it seems to be quite optimistic about the current situation of animals living in the wild. It gives the impression that things are only slightly wrong with the current situation for animals and that attempts to correct those things are likely to only make things worse. But this assumption is wrong because the current situation is actually very bad for animals living in the wild. 
When humans are seriously in need of help in complicated scenarios, efforts are often made to study how to best help them, and uncertainty due to complexity is not considered a reason to do nothing. There is no reason not to apply it when animals living in the wild are in need. Note that this course is not just about helping animals in need, but also about doing the research needed in a well-informed way. There is a claim that only human interests can be promoted in research. According to this, research in welfare biology would be unlikely to be developed because it focuses on animal interests. First, the claim is rendered false by the fact that work in conservation biology is respectable today in academia, even when motivated only by preservationist concerns about the continued existence of certain species or populations, regardless of their impact on humans. If this is the case with conservationist purposes, it could also happen for the study of animals' well-being. Note also that in the case of animals, there is the precedent of animal welfare science. There is no reason why it should apply to some animals, those used by humans, but not others, those outside of direct human control. It could be argued that research on the conservation of species or ecosystems about the welfare of animals used by humans or about the ways to help animals in the wild, like vaccination, all have anthropocentric motivations. It is true that these different types of research are all partly carried out for anthropocentric reasons, but there is also a concern among the general public about the well-being of animals. There is a relative lack of concern for wild animals, but this is due partly to a lack of familiarity with wild animal suffering. We have seen that some animal advocates think that human concern for non-human animals should be restricted to animals whose suffering is directly caused by us. But there is another possible concern. Some animal advocates might think that the idea of helping animals in the wild is too new and too hard to accept for the general public, and that as a result our efforts will be unsuccessful. They might also think that if people find this idea too strange, it could hurt the defense of animals in general. These concerns are, however, based mostly on intuitions, not on actual experience in communicating with the public about this issue. As far as we know, there is no data backing these fears, and our experience at Animal Ethics is that the general public is quite receptive to the idea of helping wild animals in need of aid. Among the people who are concerned about animal suffering, most have never heard about the harms animals suffer in nature, or the reasons to help them. When this is explained, many of them become concerned. As a result, there are now many more people who agree with helping wild animals than there were just a few years ago. This shows it's possible to change people's minds about this. Of course, for this to happen, we have to communicate effectively with the general public about this issue. The lines of research we consider likely to be successful are ones that most people will probably find quite acceptable. In fact, as more people become aware of what we can do for wild animals, public attitudes may become an important driver of political and legal action that can help to further promote welfare biology. Actually, most people are much more open to helping wild animals than to other mainstream ideas in animal advocacy, such as giving up the use of animals as resources. This could be because it doesn't require much compared to behavioral changes, such as not using animal products or services. Similarly, raising concern about the moral consideration of animals and speciesism tends to be well received and not met with reluctance the way advocacy for behavioral change is. We encourage animal advocates, who might still be a bit wary about how the public might receive the message, to get in touch with animal ethics. And we will be happy to provide ideas and materials to run a small event or campaign to gauge how positive the reception by the public is. Some people are concerned about the attitudes of scientists towards wild animal suffering. 
They fear that scientists might view this work as misguided and might oppose the establishment of welfare biology. However, even if the prevailing paradigm doesn't consider animals as individuals, this doesn't mean that scientists won't be interested in learning more about the well-being of animals. Scientists are, in principle, in favor of gaining new knowledge and, accordingly, of more resources being employed in research. The discussion that can take place afterwards about how to apply the knowledge is a different question. But scientists don't have to agree with a certain course of action to think it's a good idea to learn more about issues related to it. Also, we have to bear in mind that not all scientists think the same way, and there are researchers with an interest in helping animals.